Hey, Jake. Howdy! So what have you been up to since uh, last episode? Uh, well, you know, I went for f- some fishing. It was good. Uh, I got to speak with a Craigslist conspiracy theorist. Uh, yeah. Took my dogs for a walk. Uh, cooked a good dinner. Chicken. What was the the second thing you said there? Oh, I took my dogs for a walk. You know, Kahuna took them. No, no, the, the other... The other second uh, thing, the real second thing. Oh, Craigslist. Yeah. So I was listing a sink on Craigslist, like you do, for free, because I don't need okay. an extra sink. So you mean your parents were listing a sink on Craigslist? We as a collective. Your parents listing? We as a collective. I'm a big boy. I can list my own sink. You've earned that. I'm a big boy. I could list my own sink. Okay. And then a fellow came to pick it up. And about five minutes later, I had learned so much from him. I had learned that COVID-19 was Bill Gates' revenge. I'm not sure what he was avenging. And all all of it was just lobotomies and microchips, along something along those lines. And this was a, a doctor or an academic of some sort, I'm assuming? No, but he had a strange array of objects in his truck bed. Makes me trust him. I, I think we should just move on, since I can't outdo that one. Uh, I have to admit, the past few months have, have brought about some unusual logic, to say the least. Alrighty then, uh, well, let's stay tuned, because we have some cool stuff in store for you. On this episode, we turn our attention away from Craigslist listings and, uh, towards the southeast, to the island territory of Puerto Rico. We'll be examining the past, present, and future of its lengthy and tumultuous fight for statehood. Join us as we compare and contrast the national landscape with the island's regional politics. That and much, much more. This is Picket. We'll say something stupid. And now, for the most important portion of any Picket episode, perhaps of the entire series, Weather in America. If I were Vincent Van Gogh, this would be my starry night. If I were Claude Monet, this would, this would be my, my water lilies, each a water lily for an episode. And if I were Da Vinci, this would be my Mona Lisa. This is the, the proudest fruit of our labor here at Pickett. Wouldn't you uh, agree, Jake? Are you on a meteorological high? What was that? Uh, I'm, just, I'm just pumped for another weather report. Uh, you know, uh, everyone loves this. Everyone, I, I, I'm, I'm just guessing here i haven't seen statistics but it's my assumption that weather in america is the number one source of weather news in america okay why don't you share this week's town with the audience of our uh meteorological court well it's esperanza puerto rico a community on the island known as viqueles uh southeast of the main island of puerto rico and the weather there is yes excellent the weather is pretty much stable over the coming week uh, based on what i can see right now with my magical abilities of weather forecasting it looks like it's going to mostly be in the 80s you know highs in the uh, upper 80s and lows in the lower 80s it's really going to maintain some stability there in that that 10 degree range uh, partly cloudy most of the time, but I, I don't envision any unusual events coming. Well, is that is that typical weather? Because it seems pretty warm. Well, uh, as a professional, uh, I don't know. Ah. Uh, but uh, but what I do know is that this is a massive coincidence. What are the odds that you know the 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 location for weather in America? is part of the territory that we're going to be talking about, Puerto Rico. Wow. Who, who could have done that? 
So, Puerto Rico, <laughs> the Atlantic Island Territory, which has been the center of a centuries-long controversy over statehood. Uh, we'll get into the full story in a little bit, but let's introduce our guest. Roughly a month ago, we had the tremendous opportunity of speaking with a very well-known figure in Puerto Rican politics and a fervent supporter of statehood. As a member of the Partido Nuevo Progresista, the new progressive party, he served as the island's governor from 2009 to 2013. He remains a shadow representative to the United States House, Governor Luis Fortunio. Well, I'm now practicing law. I'm, I'm a corporate lawyer. That's what I've done most of my professional life. Uh, however, uh, between uh, 2005 and 2008, I represented Puerto Rico in the U.S. Congress. Puerto Rico has one non-voting uh, uh, seat in the U.S. House of Representatives. And between 2009 and 2012, I was governor of the island. Now that we've laid down the foundation of who our guest is, let's start our discussion of Puerto Rico with talking about the history of its territorial status. Puerto Rico became a territory uh, or a possession of the United States in 1898 as a result of the Spanish-American War. And uh, in 1917, Congress granted uh, um, those born in Puerto Rico, uh, American citizenship. Uh, and then in the 40s, uh, uh, Congress amended that and actually made, made anyone born in Puerto Rico a natural born U.S. citizen. Uh, uh, since the beginning uh, uh, of, of all of these historical facts, since the very beginning, there was a, a group of, of residents of the island that that actually their their aspiration was uh, statehood for the island, and and the U.S. represented freedom, uh, which is something that uh, did not uh, actually really exist under um, a European rulers uh, in the region, uh, and personal freedom, individual freedom. Uh, so so in that sense, uh, the U.S. Uh, uh, represented the aspirations that most people normally have. Uh, uh, to uh, and cherish uh, those freedoms. In addition to that, uh, then there have been a number of plebiscites that uh, we had first one in 1967 uh, and statehood came in second, almost with 40% of the vote. And then there was another vote in 1993, uh, again came in second, but that was uh, with 47, 48% of the vote. So, you know, uh, the uh, percentage has been going up. And, uh, and it's interesting, there was another one in 98, but that was after, right after a hurricane uh, uh, and uh, essentially numbers stayed the same. And then in 2012, following the recommendations of the, uh, a White House task force report, uh, voters in Puerto Rico voted for uh, whether, you know, the first question was whether they, they wanted to stay as a territory or they rejected the ter current territorial status. And over 54% of voters rejected the current territorial status. Um, the second question was, then, what do you uh, suggest uh, and what, what's your preference? And statehood carried the day with uh, a little over 60%. Uh, and then there have been another, uh, there's going to be actually another vote this November uh, with that specific question. And, uh, and I, would, I would say that, that hopefully uh, voters will express themselves again in favor of statehood. 
And this is a process that other ter former territories, now states, went through and they had a number of votes. So it's mm -hmm. natural that this will take some time. Now that we understand Puerto Rico's history in a broader sense, uh, we want to know what the uh, designation of territory means within the guidelines of Puerto Rico itself, the island. The framers of our, you know, of our constitution, uh, uh, when you know, there were the original 13 colonies, and they knew there was vast you know, uh, uh, land to the west, and they started organizing themselves out west and creating territories and then, you know, and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, the framers of the constitution provided that there'll be this interim status that it called uh, territory, uh, whereby, or possession, uh, whereby people could move there. It could be American citizens living there and they will organize themselves, uh, and, and have some home rule, you know, and manage some of their affairs but they would not be a full-fledged state. And uh, you know, eventually, once they had uh, met certain conditions, they could become a state of the union. And actually, uh, 37 territories, well, 36 territories and one republic went through that process and became a state of the union. Uh, and that's how it, you know, the country kept growing. Uh, uh, and the last two were Alaska and Hawaii. Uh, in the case of a territory, just like Puerto Rico, uh, you have a state constitution uh, uh, and the U.S. Congress allows you to organize yourselves, uh, yourself internally for internal affairs. And so Puerto Rico looks exactly like a state in the sense that we, have, we elect a governor, we have a, a local legislature, a house and the Senate, uh, and, and we function, uh, that's a requirement, uh, just we have a Republican system of government where there are three branches, uh, the executive branch, legislative branch, and the judicial branch. And, and there's a balance of, of power just like in any other, other state. The difference is that even though we are natural born citizens, we are American citizens by birth, uh, we, if you live in the territory of Puerto Rico, you have one non-voting member of Congress that represents the island as opposed to the number of, of members of Congress that the island would normally have based on population. And you don't have anyone in the Senate and you cannot vote for the president of the United States. However, if you move from Puerto Rico to one of the 50 states, you immediately can vote for a voting member of Congress, two senators and the president of the country. Uh, if anyone that lives in the 50 states who is a US citizen, move to Puerto Rico, that person will lose his or her uh, uh, actually right to elect the commander in chief, to elect the president, and will no longer have two senators and a member of Congress representing that person in the U.S. Congress. So uh, what, what he says there kind of strikes at the core of our really problematic dynamic with Puerto Rico. It's a genuine disconnect between legislature, uh, government on the federal level, and those in power on the territorial level, on the regional level in Puerto Rico. And it's resulted in this situation where they really lack a lot of representation, and they lack a lot of say, because uh, it's, it's, they, they aren't, like you said, uh, people in Puerto Rico aren't able to vote for the presidency. And the, the individual uh, who represents them in Congress uh, doesn't even have the ability to vote. 
So uh, their say is extremely limited, and there are millions of residents, millions of U.S. citizens in Puerto Rico who really don't have the type of influence they should have on a national level that every other— Yeah, they're being denied their right to vote here. Yeah, and the states, far less populous states, have a much greater say. And um, I was reading an article in The Hill the other day that was talking about the the controversial race in Massachusetts. And and we've been been talking about this. I know that um, we we had a guest on a few episodes back who (laughs) continues to pop into my mind, Lawrence Lessig, uh, who uh, Mm. is from Massachusetts and and had something to say on this. He he actually wrote um, some articles about this. And it, it was between the incumbent senator... Uh, the junior senator from Massachusetts, Ed Markey, right? He serves alongside Elizabeth Warren, and then Joe Kennedy the third. So he's a member of the Kennedy family, and he's been a, a congressional representative from Massachusetts. Congressperson. Yeah. Uh, so it was a really tight race, and no one uh, was 100% confident how it was going to go. Uh, I, I, um, I think the, the article says that Ed Markey was originally pulling, pulling a, um, with a pretty narrow margin behind Joe Kennedy, and it was this struggle to uh, overtake Joe Kennedy's lead and for Joe Kennedy to maintain that lead. And um, what the the, uh, the author says here, uh, Marcos Villar for The Hill says here, is that the Puerto Rican vote was a really important part of the victory in Massachusetts. So... Joe Kennedy had um, a stance on uh, a law that was set into motion a few years ago, back in 2016, back during Obama's presidency, called the PROMESA Act. And that stands for Puerto Rico Oversight Management Economic Stability Act. Right. So uh, this was introduced in the Senate and then it went to the House. And in the House, Joe Kennedy voted in favor of this act, and it's been criticized because essentially what it's done is it's it's granted the federal government this massive oversight, this m- massive ability to, to cut budgets to shape Puerto Rican government in a way uh, that many see as an infringement on their ability to self-govern effectively, slashing government spending. Yeah, taking a lot of home rule away, taking a lot of... Uh, economic power, um, thing cutting cutting things like healthcare stuff like that. So um, I know I've kind of gone on a rant here, but people are saying that what it signals is a really important voice for Puerto Ricans in the general election. Um, Puerto Ricans that aren't living in the territory, living on the island of Puerto Rico, but living here in the United States. And it's really going to be interesting to see how effectively the Biden campaign can court that Puerto Rican vote. And it feels like it all kind of plays into this split within the Democratic Party, liberal, conservative. You know, uh, Bernie Sanders voted nay when Promesa was in the Senate. So it's just it's one of those things to consider. And as, as we're talking about representation in Congress, um, we have to turn back to their non-voting representative to Congress, but also this really fascinating system they have uh, set up that maybe some people aren't familiar with is uh, the concept of shadow representatives, shadow members of Congress. Would you like to describe that a bit, Jake? Uh, yeah. So basically, uh, shadow representatives uh, are brought by Puerto Rico to the House, and they're basically there to spread influence and uh, 
teach other Congress people about what's going on in Puerto Rico and kind of just spread awareness, you know? Yeah, and, and uh, he, he kind of explains it a little bit more as well, But uh, so we'll let him get to that in a second. Uh, but um, Luis Fortuño, the former governor, is currently a shadow representative, a shadow delegate from Puerto Rico to Congress, and he, he's he's been in that position since 2017. So he's living in he's living in Washington, and he's also working as a shadow representative. As part of that effort to actually promote a, a statehood and a change in in the current territorial status, the local government approved legislation uh, creating shadow representatives in the U.S. Congress that actually essentially go and try to uh, uh, share this information that we're discussing today with members of Congress so that if there's going to be a vote, uh, uh, that they will uh, understand that actually, let's assume Puerto Rico requests statehood, that they will understand that, that then it's up to Congress to accept or not the territory of Puerto Rico as, as a new state. Something new for a lot of people is the Puerto Rico political party scene, uh, because in contrast to the main United States scale, where we have our two major parties, they have the new progressive party and the popular Democratic Party. Uh, there is one party that supports statehood. It used to be called, years ago, the Statehood Republican Party. And it tends to be center-right, uh, uh, and, and it mirrors, in a, to a great degree, the Republican Party, the traditional Republican Party. And then there is the Popular Democratic Party, and it's center-left, and it tends to mirror, and that, they, that party supports the Commonwealth status, the current territorial status, I'm sorry. And, and that party uh, mirrors the uh, Democrats in, in, at, at the national level to a great degree. However, back in the late 70s, there was a statehood uh, leader uh, and governor that uh, he said, why should we only uh, allow Republicans into the, uh, the statehood party? We should open this up to Democrats that also want statehood. And, and after that, uh, uh, there are Democrats also that have joined the statehood party. Uh, why do you think it is that many within the popular Democratic Party favor continued territorial status? Well, they, there were historical reasons uh, uh, that some of them are no longer really valid at all. Uh, there was, uh, uh, back in the, in the 50s, uh, and, and then it was amended in the, uh, in the 70s, uh, legislation, federal legislation that provided very attractive tax incentives to uh, 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 manufacture certain products in Puerto Rico. And uh, there, were, there were concerns that that would be gone, and there, you know, uh, there were thousands of jobs created through that. Well, Congress did away with um, uh, many of those incentives uh, already anyway. So that, that's a reason that, to a great degree, has gone away. Uh, second one was people essentially saying, well, you know, we have, uh, there are some cultural, cultural differences, and, 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 and how are we going to assimilate? Well, the truth of the matter is that, uh, uh, you look at uh, the uh, younger generations, and, and and you know they feel American. Uh, you know they, they their point of reference is whatever you know is happening in the mainland, the U.S. mainland. Uh, and on the other hand, the U.S. mainland is very diverse <laughs> anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, so so that that really doesn't doesn't uh, uh, carry as much weight as it may have in the past. 
Continuing in this discussion of the party politics of Puerto Rico is something really surprising for a lot of people, and that's that the popular Democratic Party, the one that's uh, most associated with Democrats, most associated and most aligned with the uh, Liberal Party on a national scale, is that the uh, the popular Democratic Party, uh, for the most part, favors continued territorial status, while the Democratic Party on the national scale and the national scene uh, has been a strong supporter of Puerto Rican statehood. Yeah, it's it's weird. Uh, and then you have also the Republican Party's uh, uh, platform since 1952 has supported statehood. Mm-hmm. But there, there are some Republican leaders that, that favor it and others that don't in the mainland. Uh, I, I think there's a disconnect to a great degree as to you know what some people uh, that are are belong to one of the national parties in Puerto Rico feel that they they want to support, and what uh, their counterparts in the mainland uh, support. Uh, but I, I wouldn't read more into it. Uh, it has I think it it has to do with that. You know there's some some sort of disconnect. Yeah. So you you think that's the same with like the official Republican platforming say. Uh, Puerto Rico to be admitted to the union. Well, uh, a lot of top level Republicans have kind of bashed the prospect. Do you think that's along well, the same that, line? That, yeah, it, that varies, and it depends mm-hmm. on on who, who you know who who are in positions of leadership. Ronald Reagan openly supported statehood. George Bush, senior and junior, both openly supported statehood. Uh, so, so you have had even as recent as George W. Bush. Uh, the last Republican president between uh, before President Trump was elected uh, to have supported statehood. So, so in that sense, I you know I, I think it, it it's more personal than institutional uh, in terms of what what that means. Now that we know more about the parties, uh, something else that is uh, quite integral to the situation in Puerto Rico overall is its uh, economic status, uh, and I think that's something that is quite integral. I mean even playing into statehood and such. Uh, so, so Puerto Rico's economic condition has been a bit um, unstable uh, over the past few years. So how do you think Puerto Rico's economic condition uh, has impacted its fight for, for statehood? Well, on the one hand, being a territory affects the economic condition of the island. And this has been the case with, with others, uh, other territories as well. So, so it affects the, uh, and it makes it very, it's a circular argument uh, in the sense that, uh, you know, if it doesn't help you because there are some uncertainty with investments and what have you. So, so that is an issue that has to be dealt with. Uh, and uh, so it has affected the island already. And I'm sure the fact that Puerto Rico is also going through a fiscal or a financial crisis uh, affects uh, our quest for statehood. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that uh, the federal government itself has been ignoring the economic issues in Puerto Rico? Well, the issue is that uh, there are competing interests in Washington all the time. You know, mm-hmm. California wants something and Texas wants something else and Iowa wants something else and Florida wants something different. And there are competing interests. And the problem here is that, well... If you have your two senators and congressional delegation fighting for you, your fight is easier. Whereas if you don't have any senators and you only have one non-voting member of Congress, 
uh, it's like fighting, uh, going into a ring for a fight uh, with one arm uh, tight behind your, your back. So it's not that necessarily that the federal government purposely wants to ignore uh, the issues affecting the American citizens residing in Puerto Rico. It is just that they're competing interests because that's the way the system works and the way we are structured uh, puts us at a disadvantage. Even though Puerto Rico per capita uh, has had uh, a much greater participation in our military, the nation's uh, you know, military, historically, than almost every single state. And on top of that, in 2017, Hurricane Maria ravaged Puerto Rico. And we want to know how that has affected Puerto Rico's efforts for statehood. Well, I think it, it pushed many, many different issues, including uh, the status question, back uh, just because, you know, you had to deal with immediate uh, issues like having power uh, yeah. and fixing your basic infrastructure. Uh, this was by far the worst hurricane that had hit uh, the island uh, in in over 400 years. Uh, so so in that sense, it was massive. And uh, so yes, uh, it it has affected this quest. Thank goodness the island is has been you know coming out of mm-hmm. uh, of this situation, and hopefully the uh, uh, rebuilding of the basic infrastructure will be finished and will be done, and and the island will be able to uh, also focus on other other matters as well. In May of 2020, the governor of Puerto Rico announced that the island would be holding a referendum on the status of Puerto Rico in early November 2020. And that referendum would only have one yes or no question. Should Puerto Rico be admitted immediately into the Union as a state? I I think it is important to have Mm -hmm. the referendum, and I think it will show that the majority of voters support statehood. And it's just one more step in the direction of gaining those rights that only that American citizens can only gain if they live in a state as opposed to mm-hmm. a territory. That said, where do you see the, the fight for Puerto Rican statehood going over the next few years and decades? Well, I think, uh, I hope it's only years, not decades. Yeah. Uh, and I think, uh, I hope that uh, the uh, percentage that statehood gets in terms of support from from the people, will continue to grow, and that will send a strong message to uh, decision makers in Washington that they have to uh, uh, take you know address uh, the issues being raised by those votes. And of course, the question we love to ask always is, uh, what does he hope we have gained from the past few months of social, economic, and pretty much all kinds of turmoil? The what can he give in his perspective of that? Well, I, I, I hope that, that we, we learned that uh, unless we work together uh, to continue to form a, most, a, a, a more perfect union, uh, we're not going to progress. And, and in order to accomplish that, every word and every phrase in the Bill of Rights and our Constitution must be upheld. And, and hopefully uh, that's, that's the end result. Uh, I, I hope also that there will not be more violence. Uh, there's no need for violence here, but there's need, there's need for conviction and for action uh, more than anything else. And, and, and uh, at the end of the day, also to think out of the box uh, as to 
what are the, some of the reasons why uh, there, is, there are disparities in our society and how can we address them in, in a fair way? Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to answer our questions. We really greatly appreciate it. It's my pleasure again. I wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Have a nice Bye. Bye. Thanks, of course, to Governor Fortunio for coming on the show. And as always, thank you, our listeners, so much for your continued support and for listening to Pickett. If you'd like to stay up to date at the latest developments here at Pickett, uh, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Picket Podcast, no space. You know the drill. Also, if you enjoy the show, make sure to rate the podcast in whatever format you listen. And if you like our intro-outro music, make sure to check out I Means Love on Spotify or wherever you stream music. And if you'd like to contact us with any questions or comments, you can visit our website at picketpodcast.com. And we'll see you next time on the Picket Fence with us.